All right, after today, you will uh, certainly be all up to speed on cultivating a relationship to, with God. Um, and um, hopefully you've been putting that into practice even this year as we've had opportunities to meet with God on our own. I, I, uh, I don't know if I've told you about what's going to happen next week, but I, I am going to be teaching the new members class or the newcomers class um, down in my office. So you will still be meeting in here. Ken Whitworth has agreed to to teach for the next six weeks, and that will be a class on evangelism, the basics of evangelism. And I can't think of a better guy for uh, for that, for uh, with the heart for the scriptures and and their truth, and uh, and who has lived that out in his life that that type of lifestyle of, of evangelism. So, I would encourage you to be here for that. It'll be a, an enjoyable and a very practical time of learning for you. Last week we looked at uh, prayer as a part of our daily quiet time. You see a definition there at the top again of quiet time. That is the part of our day that we specifically set aside for the worship of God, for the reading of the Word of God, and for fellowship with God so that we would know Him more, know ourselves in light of Him, and know the world according to His perspective. And as we go to God in His Word for those reasons, the worship and fellowship of God is, is that Spirit-given response that comes to God in prayer. And so prayer is, is the Spirit-given, Word-saturated response to cultivating a relationship with God, okay? Or uh, through, to communication or dwelling with God. So prayer is this Spirit-given. It comes from the Spirit. It's saturated with the Word. It should be grounded in the Word as we talked about last week. And um, and it should be the natural response that comes out of our time that we have with God. And this involves a few things. It involves praise to God. And it involves confession. It involves um, asking of asking God to to respond to our needs and desires. In a, in a way that would be pleasing to Him. And today we're going to finish up a few things that I overlooked last week, and that is with regard to prayer. And then we're going to move on to dangers or hindrances and pitfalls of cultivating a relationship with God and how we can overcome those. So before we uh, get into our study, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, we're thankful that You are God who is a personal God. You long to meet with with your uh, creation, specifically those who are made in your image, we who are made in your image, and we are grateful that you have designed um, your creation in such a way that we can have access to to you through Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you have um, built within us a desire to meet with you, and we're thankful for your Spirit that continually works in us to increase that desire, to fan the flame that we have for You. We pray that You would help us not to suppress that work that He's doing in our lives, but to, but to allow Him to work and to um, allow us to be able to draw near to You so that You can draw near to us. We pray that You would even meet with us now. We're thankful for Jesus Christ who has given us access to You 
um, so that we can understand Your Word and that we can respond to it rightly if we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, from the beginning we've said that the reason that we can meet with God, we can cultivate this relationship, is only because of whom? Because of Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He is our the person that goes between us and God. And we said that He, he becomes now our great high priest where he, he stands between us and God and is able to intercede for us. And so what I want to do is go over three purposes of our prayer. Why is it that we pray? And then we'll we'll get into the, the pitfalls of cultivating a relationship with God. Okay? The first purpose in prayer, I think this is the primary one, by the way, is that we glorify God. To to glorify God. God gives us prayer so that we can make much of Him. Turn to John chapter fourteen. John chapter 14, we'll look at a few verses that talk about the reasons why we pray. And this should not be surprising that, that, the, um, that our purpose in prayer is to glorify God since all of our lives are for that very purpose. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, do all to the glory of God. This is the reason we were created, to, to bring glory to God, to magnify His grace. John chapter 14, verse 13. Jesus is speaking here and He says, Whatever you ask in My name, whatever you ask in My name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. The first thing that that we see there, and we've talked about this, is that Jesus instructs us to pray in His name. Whatever you ask in My name. Okay, and that just means that we ask it according to His reputation, according according to how He would want us to pray. If we do that, then this is what He will do. He says, that will I do. If we ask for things in the name of Christ, then he will do those things. He will answer those prayers. That's what Jesus is promising here in, in verse 13. And what is the reason? The reason is that God will be glorified. God is glorified when, when He responds to our prayers um, because we've asked in His name. So when God's responding to our prayers, He is glorified in it. And perhaps a better way to look at that is to look at John chapter 15 in verse 7. And you'll see the same purpose is there for our prayers. It says, if you, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Same sort of idea. It's, it's asking of of Christ, asking of God, and it will be done. It's a promise. Verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. Okay, this is an interesting way of saying it, I think. Verse 7, If you abide in Me, so that is our part, if we abide in Christ, and Christ abides in us, and we ask of Him, then He will do it. Why? So that my Father is glorified in this. God is glorified when when Christ 
responds or when He responds to our request. And the way that that happens is when we are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in us. Okay, those are the conditions, we could say, to seeing our prayers answered. Would someone read for me Revelation chapter 21, verse 23? Mark? Alright, so when we uh, get to that place and we have the new heaven and the new earth, everything that we now know, that, that is the earth and the heavens um, that we now know, including all the stars and the, and the those will all be done away with. We will not need any sort of light anymore because we have the glory of God. And so that what does it mean to, for God to be glorified? It is that God's glory is His created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of Himself. Remember when, when Jesus went up onto the mountain and, and was um, in the presence of God's glory, what happened to Him? Moses, same sort of idea. When the glory of God led the children of Israel, it was this bright light. It is something spectacular in its in its uh, view, and so God's glory is the appropriate outward expression of of God's excellence. This is the way that God displays Himself. The glory of God is the visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character, or another way we could say it is, it is His holiness going public. It is God's holiness going public, and uh, so it mean, when we we say we we want to glorify God, it simply means that we want to magnify or or display who He is, because that's what God's glory is. It is it is part of who He is. So the first purpose in prayer, the primary purpose, the main reason that we pray is so that we can bring glory to God, so that we can magnify His grace. All right, the second purpose in prayer is to make God known in the world by our bearing the fruit of the gospel. And you're, you should still be here in John chapter 15, so we'll read verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He may give it to you. So, the the reasoning behind God giving us what we ask of Him is because He's chosen us and He's appointed us to bear fruit. You see how that's structured there in verse 16? You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. So we could sum up that whole phrase with this. You, God chose us to bear fruit. Why? So that our fruit would remain and that whatever we ask in the name of the Father, He will give it to us. The reason that God works within us to bear fruit is so that He can respond to us in prayer. Part of, of the, the reason that we pray is so that uh, God, God's truth and God's Wisdom can be manifested in us. God made us to make Him known in the world by bearing His fruit. And when we do that, He can respond to us um, in, in our prayers. 
John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God gave us prayer because we can do nothing apart from Him. We have to abide in Him. There's nothing we can do apart from God. And so, one of the reasons that we pray is so that we can go to God and we can express our dependence on Him and so that we can receive um, we can receive grace from Him so that He can provide for us what we need in order to to do what He's asked us to do. The final purpose, and then I'll, I'll um, take questions, is, is to give access to our great commander while we're in a time of war. To give access to our great commander while we're in a time of war. When you wake up in the morning, do you think that you are in a battle? Does that shape the way that you go to God in His Word and in prayer? Do you ever consider that you are in a battle spiritually? What does it mean to be in a battle? Some of you have served in, in the war and, and you know very well what it means. And there is a seriousness that comes, I would think, not having been in it myself, there's a seriousness that comes to the task that you have ahead of you that day what you are doing could cost you your life or it could cost the lives of people around you. And so there's a seriousness about it. There's not a... a you know, following the, the commander is not really that big of a deal today. In a book called The Flag of Our Fathers about the Battle of Iwo Jima during World War II, there's a story about a young boy named Jack Lucas. He, he entered the Marines as a 14-year-old by fooling the, the people there with his uh, pretty strong physique, physique that he was old enough to be uh, enlisted. Well, he, he, was not, um, he was not sent over to Iwo Jima, but he, he did get over there on his own. He, he basically became a stowaway and his friends fed him um, unbeknownst to the, to the leaders of that time. Well, when he got to the island as a 17-year-old, he grabbed a gun of one of the guys who had just died. And on the second day of battle, an enemy threw a grenade um, just at the feet of him and some of his friends. With the butt of his rifle, he took that grenade and, and pushed it deep down into the, into the dirt as deep as he could. And um, a second grenade landed in the exact same spot. And Jack, the first thought he had was, I, I have to protect those people around me. He jumps on top of this grenade, both of these grenades, and he's thinking to himself, what am I doing? I'm going to die. This is not going to end well. And obviously, since I told you what he was thinking, he, he, he lived through this. The blast shot him high into the air, and his friend friends went along with him, and uh, they came back later and expected to find him dead, so they went to grab his dog tags. Instead, they found him breathing. And when they took him to the medic, the medic said, well, apparently Jack was too strong to die. He got off the island after 21 surgeries and, and to this day is still alive. In 2001, when the author of the book asked him why he did that, Jack said, I was just trying to save my friends. Now, when we think of that, it, it, it brings within us, it, it wells up within us, it should well up within us, this feeling of 
of the seriousness of battle. Okay, I'm not trying to make an allegory about the spiritual life and we need to throw in, jump on grenades for our friends or whatever. I'm, what I'm trying to say is there is a seriousness to battle. And we are in a battle spiritually. And so there should not be a flippant attitude or a an apathetic attitude or even an attitude of ignorance. You know, I, I don't really know about that, those things and that doesn't really concern me because that's not my problem. There is a seriousness about the spiritual life and we need to, to consider that when we think about it. In fact, the Scriptures talk about the spiritual life as a warfare, as a fight. In fact, Paul at the end of his life says, I fought the good fight. It was not a cakewalk for him. I'm, I'm reminded of the song... I think we sang it last Sunday night, was, Am I a soldier of the cross? Should I be carried to the clouds on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? I mean, are we willing to give up ourselves no matter what the cost when it comes to spiritual things? And, and when we recognize that, um, I think it will change the way that we respond to God, the way, the way that we we interact with Him each day. Satan is called our enemy in the Scriptures. He's seeking to to, to devour us. First Peter five eight. He's trying to steal our faith. First Thessalonians three five. In wartime, people are not just concerned about themselves; they're concerned about the people around them. We can't be people who just simply are watching out for our backs. We would not make a very good um, soldier if, if all we cared about was ourselves. We have to be concerned about the, the entire um, group that we are with. And the same thing is true with regard to our spiritual lives. We need to be concerned about others. And so that means that, that we should not be praying for ourselves primarily. When it's time to pray... We should be praying for other people. In fact, when, when you come to passages of Scriptures, what, what you'll find is that Paul and others are praying for other people. I mean, obviously you go to the Psalms and you see that it, it is appropriate to pray for yourselves. But just like the old um, thing that you learned in Sunday school, you know, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last, the same thing I believe should be uh, true with regard to the way that we pray. We should put others before us. And that can be seen is in um, in the basic commandments that there are. We won't turn there, but John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 talk about a new commandment that God, that Christ gives to us to love one another. He doesn't have to command us to love ourselves because we already do. Nobody ever hated himself, but has always nourished and cherished his own body. Um, there's the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, Matthew 22. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul is praying that the, or is telling the Ephesians that they should pray for all the saints, not necessarily for themselves. Do you ever feel overwhelmed in praying for other people? I mean, sometimes it's easy to pray for other people. You ha- you, you are, um, you are genuinely concerned about their well-being physically or spiritually or whatever the case. Sometimes it's easy, but other times you get to, perhaps you have a list or whatever it is, and you think, man, look at all these people I've got to pray for. And we just rattle them off. 
quickly so that we can say that we've prayed for them or whatever. But but we need to have some sort of structure because what happens is if we don't have any structure at all with regard to who we pray for, then either one or two things will happen. Either we won't pray for the people who we should be praying for or we will not pray for them seriously enough. We will not uh, take enough time and, and pray for them in that way. Let me find the blank there for you. Um, praying for others as a part of praying for others as a part of loving them. Sorry about that. I just breezed past that. So we could look at praying to God. Um, go back to the battle illustration. We could look at praying to God like a walkie-talkie to our commander. It's our way to to be able to call up the commander and and get our battle commands and get our friend to be able to um, to, to have some help from from his commander. Now that is very different from the way that our society views prayer. Our society does not view prayer as a way in which um, they can receive help for deep spiritual needs. Our society looks at it like a domestic intercom system. While they're sitting on the couch, someone can bring them an extra pillow or a glass of grape juice or whatever it is. That's the way our society views prayer. And sometimes that, that spills over in, into our type of thinking. We think that God is up there as like some cosmic vending machine and we can just ask anything we want and He's going to spit it out for us. But prayer is all about a relationship. Uh, I, I don't have time to read through Ephesians chapter 6. Do I have that there for you? Um, Ephesians chapter 6, yeah. Verses 10 through 20 talks about us fighting the devil. It talks about us using the weapons that God has given to us. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God and, and we ought to be praying um, we ought to be praying to God. That is the weapon that He gives us to, to use. So, prayer is for the purpose of glorifying God. It's so that we can, we can um, bear fruit, that we can, um, that we can give of ourselves to Him and so that we can have access to our great commander in a time of war. Any thoughts or questions on what we've talked about before we get to the pitfalls? All right. There are several pitfalls that we can we can have when we're trying to cultivate a relationship with God. Spending time with Him, as we call it, quiet time, in His Word and in prayer. What are some of these pitfalls? In other words, why do we not spend more time in God's Word? Why do we not spend more time in prayer? How can we be aware of these things and pray and prepare for them? We've already talked about last week the, or two weeks ago about the, the excuse of being too busy. I just don't have time to, to, to do what God has asked me to do. And obviously, um, we have time for whatever we want to have time for. So we won't... Um, revisit that one. But let's go to this next one and that is being dependent on our emotions. There is a kind of spirituality today that is 
grounded more on our feelings and emotions than on what the Word of God says. It doesn't put as the center the centrality of the Gospel. It doesn't put the Gospel at the, at the center of the way that we live. And sometimes this is very obvious. And one of those hindrances comes um, when we wake up each morning. We have this feeling that we don't really want to spend time with God today. We have all these things on our plate that we have to do for the day and we don't really have time to spend it with God. And so the mindset is in in the, the broader spiritual uh, circles, I would say, is that we should not go to God when we don't feel like it because that would be hypocritical. Have you ever thought that before? I don't want God to think that I'm doing this when I don't really feel like doing this. And the problem with that type of thinking is that if we wait until we feel good about God, we will never go to Him. It's it's like... Um, it's like how you would interact with your spouse or your children. I mean, when are you supposed to love your spouse or your children? Is it when you, when you have all these emotions that well up inside of you, this this uh, these feelings of of love as our society sees it, or or should you love them all the time? Should you spend time with them even when you don't feel like spending time with them? And that is the same thing that is true about God. We can't wait until our passions are, are filled up to the brim. And that's why you see a lot of these churches today, what they do is they try to to build up your emotions, don't they? They have this really uh, peppy type music and, and they build up your emotions because they recognize that that helps you. And, and apparently what that does is that helps you have a better relationship with God. But a relationship with any person is grounded on truth. And the same thing is obviously true about about our relationship with God. So, what do we do when we hit a dry patch? Because it's going to happen. What do we do when we hit a dry patch and we just aren't getting anything out of the Word? First of all, I would suggest to you that remember this is normal. Okay? And and I'm, what, I, what, I, what I'm saying here is that it's normal on occasion. It should not be the case always. It should not be a duty. It should not be a, a job to go to God every day. But on occasion, it is normal. People, This happens. You will not always feel like going to God. But you know what? Sometimes when you don't feel like it, that's when you really show a person that you love them most. Have you ever gotten home from work? And you just had the worst day. You were tired. You were angry with what went on at work. You were just, you just wanted to you didn't want to talk to anybody. And your wife has this this long list of things that she wanted to talk to. I talked about so and so and my sister and it, and you're just thinking, I don't want to talk about this right now. Okay, you don't understand what kind of day I had. You know, one of the ways that I show my wife and you show your spouse that you love them most is during those times when you don't feel like it. And I think the same thing is true with regard to our relationship with God. 
that God, although my feelings are not very great from you, because of the because of of the the the, day, the kind of day that you've given to me, I am going to you anyway because I love you. I believe that what you said is true, and I'm going to meet with you and show you that I love you, even though I don't feel like it. You see, when we do that, what happens is we show God what our ultimate desire is. Our desire is not to just satisfy all of our feelings. Our desire is to show Him that we love Him. And so, those times can be normal. Everyone will experience those at at some point. But we cannot, number two, don't rely on your feelings. We cannot rely on our feelings. We have to acknowledge them but refuse to allow them to rule them. Because what happens is if we allow our, our passions, our emotions to drive what we think, our mind, then we're, we're never going to do anything for God. We're just going to wallow in uh, spiritual immaturity. So don't rely on your feelings. Number three, continue reading the Bible. This is why reading the Scriptures and praying is a discipline. It is work. It, you know, it, it's easy to get into the Word when things are going well, but not always when, when you're not getting much out of it. So continue to do that, and you'll see that God will talk to you uh, during those times through His Word. Number four, don't be afraid to change up your pattern. You know, We have this structured pattern that we do, the same sort of thing every day. Don't necessarily rely on that perfect structure uh, sometimes it's good to to break away if you're you're having a long period of drought where you feel like nothing's really um, clicking for you. You're you're not very satisfied with what you're learning from the scriptures. Maybe go to Isaiah chapter 40 through 50. Talks about the character and the nature of God. Find out who God is. You know, it's not wrong to break away from your Bible reading schedule every once in a while and and go and and just think about God in some other terms. Maybe you have some passages that are encouraging to you. Go to those passages and uh, find encouragement there. Whatever whatever the case, we don't have to stay to a structure. The point is we need to meet with God. We need to spend time with God. What do we do when when our minds wander? You know, if if you're like me, you you get into praying and all of a sudden you think of um, all these other things you got to do for the day, and next thing you know, you're not praying for a long period of time. I think probably the best way to help us in that in that regard is to think about how you talk to your your spouse or somebody else that you care about. Think about how you talk to them. I mean, what would they think if if you, while they were trying to talk to you about something serious, or you were talking to them? You've got your eyes on the TV or the computer, you know, and you're and you're not really giving any attention to your spouse or your your close friend. I mean, it doesn't really show that we we care too much. Now, obviously, our our minds can wander, and and that may not be sinful in, inherently sinful, but but what we need to do is is um, just try to keep focused about what we're doing. And maybe the best way to help in that way is to structure our prayers. Know where we're going. Okay? Know what we're doing when we get to the Word so that we don't go just park in some passage of Scripture and go, what's my point in doing this? 
And that's why I've encouraged us as a church to to spend time going through the Word and trying to get to know God. Okay, so that's what we do when we have wandering minds. What about when our prayers feel like they're hitting the wall? Okay, feel like they're hitting the wall. Well, just remember that prayer is not about you. It's it's rooted in God. It's based on His command for us. And then one of the other things that might be helpful is to look back to our study last week on on the Trinity. The God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all involved in the process of praying. Both the Son and the Spirit are interceding for us. Think about that God commands us to do that. And then the next one, what do you do when you don't feel like praying or reading the Bible? Um, I would I would offer for you these four verses here. Uh, basically, the psalmist is saying that in times of trouble, he goes to God, that we need to continually just continue to go to God and expect that His fountain of wisdom will overflow um, on us. And so, I'll just uh, allow you to do that in your, your own time. We talked about when we can pray, and obviously the answer to that question maybe should be answered with another question. That is, well, when we're, whenever we're in need, when are we in need? And we said last week that we're in need every hour. I need thee every hour. I need thee. And so if we're in need every hour, then we should go to, to God in prayer at all times. And obviously there should be some sort of structured, um, focused time of prayer where everything else is shut out. Remember, Jesus said, don't try to do it in front of other people so you can be seen by them, but go into your closet, uh, close the doors where no one's, where no one's around, and just pray. And as I was reading through Matthew this week and discussing it with our family, I, I thought, you know, one of the best ways to express our faith in God is to pray alone. Have you ever thought about that? Because nobody knows about it. Nobody. I mean, when we pray in public, people hear us and they see us. When we read our Bible, we can discuss those types of things. But when we go to our closet and pray and we're only talking to God, who else knows about that? Prayer is the best expression of our faith in God. And so if we truly love God, if we truly are a child of His, we should want to express that. All right, before we move into the next section, and I think I need to speed up a little bit here, do we have any questions or comments? Let me make one more statement before I go on because maybe what happens is we get to prayer and we, we lack confidence. Think about this when you when you have this period of dry times when you feel like your your prayers are not going anywhere. You are never worthy to go to God in and of yourself. I mean, by yourself, you, you can't go to God and, and have Him accept you. But with Jesus Christ, you can never be condemned. You can never lack confidence because now you have Jesus Christ. And so think about the truth that, that God has promised, and that is that we have confidence through Jesus Christ because of His work. All right, another danger or pitfall to cultivating a relationship with God is legalism. C.J. Mahaney in his book, The Cross-Centered Life, 
uh, takes a whole section and talks about legalism and the danger that there is in this, this type of thinking. And basically, legalism, as he defines it, is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through our obedience. Okay? That's what legalism is. It's, it's trying to uh, receive acceptance from God. God, now you have to accept me because I've done so many good things for you. Have you ever found yourself in sin where you've kind of been living in unrepented sin and you feel like you can't go to God? You can't really face Him? Have you ever felt that way? Or have you ever felt that, hey, I've, had, I've done my devotions, I've had my quiet time 30 days in a row, God has to accept me. Well, those types of thoughts are subtle ways of of allowing legalism to enter your mind. Because basically what that's saying is, because of what I'm doing, God has to accept me. And so now we make the basis of God's acceptance of us what we do. But what is the basis of our acceptance before God? What is it? It's Jesus Christ. And that's what justification is. Justification is the judicial act of being declared righteous by God. When God saves you, you are justified. You are declared to be righteous. He has Jesus Christ has paid for your past, present, and future sins. So you do not have to worry about that anymore. When you have those feelings where I have to do something in order for God to accept me, then you need to realize that God doesn't accept you on anything that you do. It's on the basis of Jesus Christ. And all that we're doing is simply a response to what Christ is doing. We're simply overflowing in a life of obedience because of what Christ has done for us. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the daily activity of being made righteous. The daily activity or practice of being made righteous. Now, when we mix these two things up, that's when legalism results. We start thinking that, hey, our practice, our daily activity is, is what God is going to use to, to accept us. But you will find no favor from God from simply reading your Bible every day. You'll not be justified. You'll not be able to stand before God one day just because you've done all these things. And our, the basis on which we stand before God on that final day will be because of what Jesus Christ did. And when He asks us, okay, why should I let you into my heaven? If that's what He asks. If He asks us that, the only thing that we can say is, I am unworthy on my own. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I have done. The only thing that I can say is that Jesus Christ has stood in my place. And now you have to accept Me because Jesus Christ is perfect. And um, not you have to accept me in a flippant way. I hope you understand. I'm not trying to be um, irreverent there. But, but we will not be able to stand before God on the basis of our own actions. And conversely, we will not be condemned because we've missed some quiet time or something. Our justification, um, our justification puts us in a place where we are always justified before God. We don't come out of out of favor with God because we've not done something. 
Okay, so when we begin to understand this, we are freed to go to God and we do it as uh, out of love. It is out of a joy that we have because of His great grace that we have. Alright, laziness. Next one. This may not be a problem for everyone in the room, but I know that especially among the men, I know that because I am one, uh, that laziness is a problem. It can be a huge obstacle to cultivating a relationship with God. I just don't feel like it. And if you find yourself consistently watching you know, more TV or playing more video games than you do reading the Bible, you, you may want to change your habits. Um, sometimes, for me, it's easier for me to schedule out what football games are going to be on and how I'm going to be able to get everything done so I can watch those football games than it is for me to spend time with God carve out time for that. And and that's be, that's just the nature of who we are. We are lazy people and we, we go to the things that we desire. Jesus went to great lengths to draw us to Himself. And so we should be willing to do whatever it takes to, to meet with Him. Why would we not go to Him? I mean, He is our life giver. He is our life sustainer. He is our present help in times of trouble. He is our hope, our joy. And so we should go to Him in prayer and in in reading the Word. Now, what is the underlying issue at the heart of all these dangers? What do you think? What do you think is the, the root problem of all these things? Why do we not go to God? Why is it that we are lazy? Why is it that we 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 allow our emotions to drive it? Mike? Yeah, it's a selfishness. It's a lack of desire for God. It's that simple. And so we need to cultivate that desire, and we do that by getting to know God more. We we lack this desire, and that the desire is really a lack of trust for God. We don't really believe that what He says is true, that He ultimately will satisfy. Psalm 9.10 says, Those who know Your name, that is, know Your character, will trust You. For You, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek You. The point of that is, is that if we want to trust God more, if we want to desire God more, we need to get to know Him more. And the way that we get to know Him is by reading and studying and meditating on His Word. Now, I'll leave those practical questions for you to think about, and I would encourage you to take some time this week to answer those. I want to say one final thing is another potential danger is is going on vacation. Have you ever been that, uh, ever had that where you go on vacation and you fill it up with so many things, maybe your in-laws or whoever you're you're going to visit have so many things planned for you and it's hard to get into your normal routine that you've already established. And so uh, here are a couple suggestions for when you do go on vacation. Um Structure your time in advance. Plan to meet with God. Find out what's going to happen in the morning and and get up a little bit earlier so that you can spend time with God. Um, Be open with the people who you are visiting with. Just tell them, listen, I spend time with God in the morning so I will be uh, down at this time. I will be at breakfast at this time or whatever. And then maybe the best thing to do is is set up an accountability type system. Have someone from back home call you 
maybe once or twice during that week while you're on vacation and say, hey, how's it going with your quiet time? Have you been able to spend time with God while you're away? All right, and I think that would go a long way to helping us in that way. Any questions about what we've talked about today? All right, a lot of this was practical, not not very deep, but I hope it was helpful. Appreciate your attention. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank You for the relationship that we can have for You. Help us not to be confused or uh, frustrated when we come to meet with You, but that we would long to spend time with You so that we can show You that we love You and so that we can uh, develop a deeper relationship with You. Find out the, the wonders of Your grace and be able to share those um, with others and be able to even use them in our own lives because we recognize that struggles will come and our only refuge is is Your Word. And we pray that we would have such a deep love and understanding for it that nothing could pull it, pull us from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.